Party on, Todd. Party on, Sal. Rock on. Rock on. Rock on. Well, welcome back, podcasters, to another episode of the Party on Johncast, the most excellent rockin' uh, podcast where we discuss uh, brews and music and news and whatever's on our mind. Um, hell's yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell's to the yeah. Uh, I'm Reverend Sal Smarco, a uh, ordained teaching elder or minister of word and sacrament. Pick your term. I think it changes every six months in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, in the validated ministry of chaplaincy in the Presbytery of Newton. Always needing that validation. Please. <laughs> so uh, I am uh, Reverend Todd Laddick, uh, an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey, serving in Newton, New Jersey, on definite higher ground than Sal. The only higher ground I give him. Well, according to your theology, God gives it to me, so. <laughs> Rock on. And we have a guest here today, don't we? We do. A uh, uh, repeat guest now. A repeat guest, yeah, yes. Wow. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself? All right. Uh, I am uh, Pastor Blake Severson, serving in uh, at South Park Presbyterian Church in Rock Island, Illinois, but currently coming to you from the Zoom background that is Bow Lake in Alberta, Canada. Um, it's my happy place, and in these times, we got to find them where we can. You said That's South right. Park. <laughs> yeah, and actually, you were not the first person to bring that up. As I was a, a mega South Park fan uh, for much of my life, and when my friends have like, wait a minute, you're at South Park Presbyterian? And I was like, yes, I know, I understand. It's perfect. God has a sense of humor. They do not, however, respect my authority that much. But <laughs> yeah, which then sends you into Cartman mode, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, yes. <laughs> well, then awesome. um, here we all are, and that brings us to our Hebrews segment. Hey guys, how do you know that Jesus loves coffee? How so? Because it was written about in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> it did not get better the second time around. No. <laughs> I keep doing it. It never gets better. It never gets better. It always stays the same. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is our first podcast since before March that we actually have... I don't know if we did in the March. We may have in the March episode because we recorded it in February. But since March, since recording in March and onward, this is the first episode we've actually reviewed coffee. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We recorded the March episode in Hoboken with Bill, and so we had coffee then. We had coffee then, right. But since then, it has been – yeah, I mentioned to someone today at work that – this is the first podcast we haven't imbibed uh, liquor in You know, ha- hashtag, hashtag 2020. So, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. That's, uh... <laughs> Wait, hold on. Sure. Oh, I just got a zero percenter. Oh, did somebody just drop you off like a non-alcoholic brew? I was just delivered a non-alcoholic brew. By the dining, well, dining that, well, that rocks. So that's amazing. So you, you have two brews. I have two brews. Oh wow, cool. 
This is the first time I've actually drank coffee in a long time, too, believe it or not. See, this is what 2020 does to you, right? It's like you get up, you work, you crack open a beer. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter because you're home. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, right. Um, okay, maybe you don't crack open a beer right after getting up, but, you know, after lunch, mid-afternoon, somewhere in there. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been. I haven't drank much coffee. I mean, I can't say I haven't drank any. Yeah, the occasional visit to Starbucks. So, you know, sometimes I'll I'll make coffee on my, uh, on you know, in my um, French press. But but yeah, I mean, like this yeah. is the first time we've reviewed coffee since uh, since that last episode that aired in March. That's right. I've actually been drinking more. Two. De- oh, I've been drinking more decaf coffee too. Actually. Okay. But. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to. It, truth be told, uh, the the alcoholic jokes aside, um, <laughs> I you know I've been like trying to not drink as much caffeine so I can go to sleep earlier. Um, it really hasn't necessarily helped because I'm still wired as a night person, but it helps a little bit more to not like be loaded with caffeine when trying to go to bed. So, um, so that's part of the reason why. You know, and also when you you know, um, when you're working from home, it's just it's just a, a different it's a different ball game. You know, like if I get extremely tired midday, no one's going to care if I take that na- take a little nap and then get up and finish my work. You know, till eight at night. You know, I mean, it doesn't doesn't matter. But if I'm in the office, it makes a you know kind of a big difference. <laughs> they come in and see Pastor Todd like curled up in fetal position on the floor, like <laughs> taking a nap. <laughs> so. So, um, yeah, so uh, here it is. Here's the coffee. What are you all drinking? And then what cup are you drinking at? Uh, I'm drinking uh, Kicking Horse coffee um, in my wife's orange conference cup. I can't see it. My background is hiding everything. So it's, uh, yes. yeah, um, but uh, Kicking Horse coffee is a coffee I discovered actually when I was in Canada, um, driving from uh, Fort Collins up to Anchorage um, with my dog and all of our stuff. Mm. Um, and it's just awesome. It's so, so good. And I also just like seeing the package kind of brings me back to that really memorable trip. Can you buy that online? Um, I don't know that you can buy it online, but I know that they distribute in the U S we buy it locally at a natural grocers. Um, so if you have a natural grocers, um, okay. Near you, they may have it. Um, but, uh, today it is a, um, I'm, I'm like, five hours into my coffee drinking day. So I'm uh, at a, um, we got a, we got a new espresso maker, um, a Breville espresso maker. Mm. And so um, it's one scoop of Grizzly Paw, which is good and caffeinated and one uh, scoop of their decaf. Okay. Um, Cuts it down a little. Kind of take the edge off a little bit, um, but it's, it's great. Um, I found them online, by the way. Yep. I oh, just good. looked it up, and it, it's actually where I thought it would be, uh, Green Life Markets. Yeah. In. yeah. Oh, I highly recommend uh, your first cup of coffee from them being the Kick-Ass Blend, okay. Um, okay. if they have it. Uh, the Smart-Ass is also very, very good. So uh, between the Kick-Ass and the Smart-Ass, you can't go wrong. You can't. Um, okay. And if you if you combine the two of them, you better be ready to fight. Um <laughs> So it'll be the opposite of what I was trying to do throughout the <laughs> throughout the pandemic. First cup of the day. It has to be the first cup of the day. Okay. <laughs> wow. I'm going to go out. So it is at Green Life Market. 
Green life, and I actually it says you can get it on Amazon too. Yeah, Amazon assistant came up and said, "Can I help you?" And I'm like, "Not right now, dude." But thanks. Get out of here, Bezos. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. So, what are you drinking, Sal? And in what cup? I'm a, I'm also drinking a technically a Canadian coffee. It's a Tim Hortons original blend in my uh, Jesus and coffee cup. Mm. So, this was a, a gift from uh, our secretary here for my. I don't know if you've seen my coffee talks with the chaplain videos, uh, Blake, on Facebook. Yeah. So I've been doing those since the whole pandemic started. I was doing them every day, and that got, like, crazy. Oh, yeah. So I'm doing doing maybe three a week. Okay. Did one this week. My Jeep. Took the Jeep out into the cornfield <laughs> and uh, had fun. But, yeah, t- uh, Tim Hortons, it's just good basic coffee. Better than Duncan. Uh, well, um, yeah. And then uh, once I finish it, I might take a swig of this. Not that I'm, I'm not drinking at work. I swear. No, it's it's zero zero is very prominently displayed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, and I fully believe this. I mean, I I like my you know my kick-ass beer, but I have no problem with non-alcoholic beer either. I beers beers just beer. (laughs) Give it to me. I mean, granted, I like to have a benefit when I have to pee a lot, but you know, but but it's (laughs) okay if I don't. There is a benefit were, to no alcohol. Yep, they were doing mocktails for our independent living um, folks today. So well, I gave them, I cut them a slide with, okay, it's technically non-alcoholic. Yeah, if it's no alcohol, it's no alcohol. Yep. Yep. So, okay, so, um, so I am drinking a Swiss coffee, uh, Gavalia. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, try not to be American and say Javalia. <laughs> But it's a uh, Gavalia uh, single origin Costa Rican coffee. I've I think I've reviewed it on here before, but it's been a long time, and it is just one solid cup of coffee, just really really good and flavorful, and uh, yeah. So uh, Gavalia single origin Costa Rica, and uh, I'm in my uh, coffee gets uh, coffee gets me. What does it say here? Coffee started. gets me started. Jesus keeps me going. So that's that's my cup, and uh, that is pretty much true. <laughs> so. Nice. So that of is our Jesus allows me to wake up to have my coffee to get started. So I mean, one could that's say right. that Jesus gets me started too. <laughs> but we'll 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 let that slide. We uh, we can add that to the shit house theology. <laughs> that's, that's 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 right. Well, folks, that brings us to our most excellent music segment. Music edition. Music edition. That's right. Okay. So who wants to go first? I guess I'll, I'll go first since I have, go first. Yeah. So yeah, you can play with your eye. It's cool. Um, just make sure you don't have hot sauce on your finger. Did that yep. yesterday. It's fun. Um, so um, I have been okay. So for those of you who don't know, I, I feel like every episode I have to update what tattoos I now have because I'm working on a full sleeve 
Uh, so no doubt by the next episode we record will be another tattoo to show you. But um, I am uh, this this time around. I got a couple of tattoos, one of which was uh, the Hatbox Ghost. I don't think I had that by the last time we recorded. And I also got uh, this nice um, hybrid uh, Wolfman between the original Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman and uh, the Benicio del Toro Wolfman from 2010. Uh, and so I. You know, to commemorate each of these tattoos, I watch, you know, the movies that are corresponding to it. So I watched Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy. They've got to make a better one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I watched that and then I watched um, the Wolfman movies. And, of course, Danny Elfman uh, composed the music to the 2010 Wolfman. And it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. That and, of course, Rick Baker's amazing Academy Award winning special effects in that film. Uh, but, um, and you've got Anthony Hopkins and Benicio del Toro and, uh, you know, just a whole slew of awesome actors. So, um, so that, that album is just phenomenal. And the song I think I'm going to review is Wolf Sweet part one, which is the opening song on the album. It just lays out the theme uh, and the whole thing feels like a wolf just running through the woods, like just the, the, the tempo, the beat, the way it plays. Uh, and then, and then on top of it, you have these like, like Romish gypsy, like, like Eastern European, like violin string sounds like that are just like, uh, that just like make you feel like you're in the wilds of like Transylvania. So it's like, so it's like this combination of, of like the wolf running through the moors in, in England and Romania, like, like on top of it. And it's just a brilliant soundtrack. Another brilliant soundtrack from Danny Elfman, who's just phenomenal. So that's my, uh, that's my review. I'll post something. I'm sure they have something on YouTube I can share. Nice. You want to go, Blake? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm, uh, I was trying to think about what music I've been listening to because um, my kiddos, uh, we just put her back in daycare uh, last week. And so, you know, there's not a lot of free time to listen to my own stuff. And so um, it made me think about uh, the Trolls World Tour movie because she loves that movie so, so much. And one of the things I'm grateful for about that movie, as crazy as it is, is that it has introduced her to rock and roll music and she loves it. Now, which movie is this again? Trolls World Tour. Trolls, okay, yeah, yeah World Tour, and, yeah. And so, like, now she'll, you know, she, we play music at breakfast and stuff. And so, uh, one of the songs that she really likes um, is uh, Cherry. It, so, it's kind of, it's, gone away from the movie but she just wants rock music and so um i wanted to show her uh, a band of girls doing rock music so showed a video of cherry bomb by the runaways um, yeah most recently made famous by the guardians of the galaxy movies and she loves it so um, she asked for that all the time um so that's been a cool thing to kind of get to expose her to some new stuff um but for myself um the song in particular, and the album that I've been listening to a lot lately is Ghosts on the Earth by Gunger. Um, so it's not metal, it's not rock, it's, you know, but 
I, I remember listening to it back in 20 years ago when this thing was first really getting rolling and they were starting to bury people on the island in New York and just bawling my eyes out at the, at the thought of what was going on. Um, and it's come back around to being the album that I listen to when I get ready to preach now. Um, mm. And so um, the, the song in particular, um, Let There Be, and I just want to read some of the lyrics. Um, Darkness hovering, grasping everything it sees, void, empty, absent life and absent dream. Let there be, let there be. Um, angels toil and crack, open scrolls of ancient dreams, countless worlds of his, brilliant stars and breath and stream. Let there be. And then as they're singing this chorus of let there be, let there be light um, with the female voice, the male voice comes in behind it saying, where there is darkness, let there be light. Where there is nothing, let there be light. Mm. And it's yeah. been, a hard, <laughs> been a hard seven months. Um, oh, it has, yeah. The last time we listened to it, um, my daughter was listening and she said, Jesus is singing. Mm. When the male voice came in. Yeah. And it just wrecked me. I mean, it's wrecking me right now. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that's awesome but uh you know the last time we talked we talked about sisu this need to like endure and god almighty if i knew that this is what we were in for oh. <laughs> yeah um, yeah but uh you know it's it, it was it was tremendous to hear my daughter who's four years old be able to hear and to say Jesus is singing with those words. Um, Priceless. I mean, it says it all. Yeah, it was just tremendous. So I apologize for breaking down them. No, don't. There's a lot, there's a lot going on on my end right now. But um, that yeah. song in particular has really meant a lot over the last few months. Yeah, there's awesome. one thing I, I I firmly believe is there's strength in tears, um, and yep. we often try to fight them off to look strong. <laughs> I, you know, it's pretty relevant considering who's our leader right now, who thinks that that you know to be tough means to fight back and to punch and act like nothing bothers you and nothing's going yep. on and everything's great. But there's strength to admit we're weak, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, that we're vulnerable. And I, I think, think what. I think what would be a great uh, bonus segment is to talk about what our years have been like, you know, for anybody yeah. who's interested in listening to that, yeah. um, that, that yeah. might be a therapeutic thing for us and worthy thing for our listeners. So um, I think the three of us would agree that uh, toxic masculinity has no place in our lives. <laughs> no, no. I, I have enough toxicity in my life without adding it to my masculinity. Speaking, speaking of alcohol. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh boy um i'll go okay. now i just spilled um did you spill so your beer I, or coffee uh not my coffee your beer <laughs> yeah that's okay that's that's appropriate uh, i think actually that's appropriate um i too kind of like um oh and by the way like if you want to play some uh some some girl girl female rock music um there's a i don't know if you've heard of a band called uh, gfm gold mm -hmm. frankincense and myrrh they're uh they're they they call themselves beauty core oh 
their metal core, but they're it's three sisters, and so they get all dressed up, and it's kind of like a what's that band from Japan? Baby um, metal. Baby metal. It's kind of like baby metal, but it's three sisters, and they're Christians, and it's so they do nice. call themselves Beauty Core. I thought they were Satanists with with that uh, title, but um, <laughs> that band yeah. name. But I will uh, I will <laughs> reference back to our last episode. Anyway, um, I will uh, definitely check them out. GFM. GFM. Yep. Um, you can follow them there on Instagram. Um, but I have been listening to on repeat pretty much for the last four months of this pandemic because, as Blake alluded to, this has been a tough season. Uh, I've been listening. Uh, do you guys remember James Blunt? He had that song came out in 2005 ish mm-hmm. when you were in seminary, uh, You're Beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he's still around. He just actually put an album out in this year, actually, called Once Upon a Mind. Okay. Uh, I recommend if you have, go check it out on Spotify or Apple Music. I've had the whole album on repeat. Um, but there's two songs specifically that I've had on repeat. Um, he has one called Monsters, um, which is a song written to his father. Mm. Um, so as you can imagine, when I listened to it as a newly minted father and the son of a father, uh, it wrecked me. Um, but it, it says, oh, before they turn off the lights, I won't read you your wrongs or your rights. The time is gone. I'll tell you good night. Close the door tell you I love you once more. The time is gone, so here it is. I'm not your son. You're not my father. We're just two grown men saying goodbye. No need to forgive, no need to forget. I know your mistakes and you know mine. And while you're sleeping, I'll try to make you proud. So daddy, won't you just close your eyes? Don't be afraid, it's my turn to chase the monsters away. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, so that's and if you and I <clears throat> go check out the, the music video for it because the video for it, of it is hit it's his face and he's singing and he can say that he's you can see he's cheering up and it pans out and he's sitting there singing the song to his father. Mm. It's pretty uh, pretty intense. You know that reminds uh, me. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say that what that reminds me of is when I was a newly minted father. Um, I probably already had. Katie at the time it was probably in between Katie and Lorian but um it was uh Creed with arms wide open mm-hmm. and that song can be heard in two different ways it can be heard theologically with you know God embracing us with open arms but it can but it was written uh because he was a new father at the time and you know all the hopes fears and uh and um expectations you know kind of being poured out from his, poured out from his heart um it just when you said that that this song wrecked, wrecked you as a newly minted father and the father or son of a father uh that that song had a similar effect on me at the time when i listened to it yeah yep i guess uh, I'm and the other song that now <laughs> yep i have to post that now i'll post both these two the other song that i love on this album is um it's called the greatest and i've been listening to it a lot since this sunday we uh Went out to Long Island and I co-officiated and co-baptized uh, Calvin with our former uh, pastor from uh, Warwick. Uh, and so uh, we just, I won't read the whole song. I'll read some of the lyrics though that kind of, yeah. It says, I feel that you deserve a chance to know the truth and to be better than the ones who came before you only to let pride and money weaken them. 
So be the young, the brave, the powerful, because the world is standing waiting for someone to come and change it. Yeah, be the young, the brave, the powerful, because we need a soul to save us. We need someone to be the greatest. Uh, it goes on. I know that I have not, nothing left to give you to make you better than the man I failed to be, the friends and fathers that I know I should have been. So be the young, be the brave, the powerful. Because uh, we need a soul to save us, need someone to be the greatest. And then it repeats the be the young, be the brave, the powerful. But the very last line is, because we need a soul to save us, need someone to be the greatest love. Mm. So. Wow. Wow. Um, so, um, thank you, I, Blake. I just see that you sent the uh, link to the song and, and the yeah. title. And Sal, you'll do the same, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, powerful word, Sal. Um, yep. So, I guess I wait. What's that sound I hear? Is that the toilet flushing? I, I smell something. You smelling something? I do smell something pretty shitty. It does. It kind of stinks, doesn't it? Kind of stinks, remember. <laughs> that brings us to our. <laughs> Shit house theology segment. Theology. <laughs> we, we we couldn't we couldn't go on without a shit house theology segment. Um, so, there's so much of it to be found these days. There is so much oh, yeah. to be found. Absolutely. Like, hey, this is all gonna go away like a miracle by Easter. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know who I, I forget who quote who I'm quoting there, but um, anyway, uh, so we we discovered I don't know if you've discovered anything, uh, Blake, but but Sal and I uh, Sal mostly discovered a couple of uh, pretty awesome shit house theology uh, instances. Mm-hmm. You want to introduce? Found, uh, sure. Um, there was a. There was a couple of clips from the service, but there was a International Church of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Trump attended there this last Sunday while he's on his campaign trail. And uh, the first video shared in this tweet is uh, the worship the worship band is singing while wave flag wavers twirl American flags emblazoned with the Statue of Liberty. So patriotic uh, color guard. <laughs> patriotic. Patriotic color guard, and that's technically a violation of the flag code. Those flags, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, no one on stage is wearing a mask. Oh, that's a um, surprise. Uh, uh, the next clip is the pastor, Mark Goulet, says, I don't care what anyone says. I love my president. Um, and they said that he's doing a great job. Uh, he read a list of things he wanted to say to thank the president for, among them the executive order on the Johnson Amendment, giving a voice to the unborn, moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, choosing judges who stand for conservative and Judeo-Christian values. He helped make the U.S. energy independent, supporting school choice, bringing peace to the Middle East, bringing jobs back to America, and coming to his church for three times. Coming to his church three times, probably the only three yep. times he's gone to church, right? Yeah, um, and that when, and then when the when the pastor prays uh, to the king, he prays for Trump. Okay. Um, 
he appeals for when I when I appeal to the king, I appeal for him, and then point it at Trump. So, so um, before we get into the shithouse end of this, I would like to say that uh, I too love my president. I just don't like him. <laughs> is that is that fair? Isn't that like we're as Christians, we're called to love. I mean, so yeah, I mean, I pray for him, I love him, but I I, I just don't like him. Um, not as president anyway, you know, I, I can't speak for him personally. I've never met him, but, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, the obvious <laughs> shit in the shit house is this like civic religion, right? Civic, civic religion, idolatry. Yeah. Constantine would be all about this. Oh, Constantine oh, would yeah. be reveling in this. Yes. This yeah. is bring the nation together by, you know, by marrying government and uh and church yeah this is kind of not i'm not saying the president shouldn't be able to show up to a worship service and we shouldn't be praying for the president and you know all that stuff but when we turn it into political talking points especially the johnson amendment right which is is the amendment that said um that churches really cannot be promoting or pushing partisan politics which by the way is is good uh it's it's good um rule of thumb because you have people on both sides of that divide in your church you're the pastor of all people not just the republicans or the democrats so like when i'm in the pulpit yeah i get i there's a difference between getting political and getting partisan no the johnson amendment didn't stop pastors from speaking out on political issues so you people plenty before that was before the executive order people were calling out for uh the ending of Roe v Wade and abortion people were calling out for the ending of you know uh famines and whatnot you know and and that you know and the ending of gun violence and all these other things no one stopped you from doing that that those are political issues and people can get politically upset with you because of their partisan politics but those are appropriate from the pulpit and in the church what's not appropriate from the pulpit or in the church is god says you should all vote for donald trump <laughs> or you should all vote for joe biden <laughs> you know and that's what yeah, the sure. that's what the amendment that's what that amendment was was saying you should not do as a religious organization yeah, for those who maybe aren't really sure what the Johnson Amendment is, it's basically uh, forbids endorsing of political ca candidates from the pulpit or as a religious organization. Basically, if you do, you put your tax-exempt status at risk. Correct. And, of course— and Trim Trump wrote an executive order that said, ah, we're going to bypass that. Yeah. Because, of course, all the Trump-loving churches love that. Well, what what it really exposes um, is that the evangelical, the evangelicals of today, starting in the seventies and onward, are nothing. They call themselves Christians, right? And I'm not judging their immortal souls, but they call themselves Christians, and that they're there to be evangelical to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But that message is, by and large, and maybe only ever, political and partisan political. So, so, so the, you know, forget about, you know, salvation amounts to what party you, you basically salvation amounts to what party you vote for. Yep. And there's and something the problem is, shitty about that. Well, that's, that's the problem that many of these evangelicals do not understand that. And how many times have the three of us seen in political debates on social media, you know, being told we're not Christians because we don't stick to the Republican talking points. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Or Democrat talking about. 
The one that gets me is I actually uh, just got in an argument with a couple of our former uh, seminary classmates, Sal, last night on a post um, where now, now, uh, this conservative gentleman is lamenting the politicization of the faith and, you know, <laughs> you shouldn't be making me feel bad for voting for whoever I feel I am in my conscience. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> Oh. To be voting when this same person was known to call people communists because they supported like taking care of the poor. Um, I, right? I think I think I know which classmate you're talking to. I, I, think, I almost well, waited. Yeah. Um, I, you, you, oh, you almost jumped in. You, yeah. I almost jumped in, but I held back. Yeah. Stay away. Um, but anyway, again, I mean. The point is, the point is valid. We we should not absolutely ever, ever um, speak our political viewpoints, our expressly secular political viewpoints from the pulpit. Right. Ever. Right. One of the great prides of my preaching career is that I get told that I am too political from the pulpit because I keep talking about the kingdom of God. Amen. Same here. That's right. Like. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm political because I, I I try to live by the Bible and the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <sighs> but at the same time, um, you know, I'd be interested to to hear um, what the perspective of people of color is on the Johnson Amendment and how that censure, censoring of political speech for nonprofits has hindered the ability of white spaces from being able to talk about racism because that's mm -hmm. considered political speech. And at this point, basically, if you're against racism, you, you appear to be against one party and for the other. Um, and True, so, based, you know, based on how the votes fall, typically. Yeah. That was, but that was part of one of the that was part of one of the conversations that came up last night was you know, it's not politics if you're speaking out against racism and then the call of virtue signaling came out and that basically ended all the conversation because all you have to do is yep. yell virtue signaling and it's over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're kind of going far afield here, but, I, you know, I think the Johnson Amendment is really, really valuable, but I do wonder the impact it's had on communities that have been crying out to be heard. And that right, and that's why I think I think instead of executive order, and one of the things that um, now I'm not in the pulpit right here, so I will share this. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that I appreciate about what Joe Biden says he will do is rather than forcing things to be law by executive order, he's going to attempt to bring people together so there can be a larger conversation. So maybe the Johnson Amendment needs an amendment, you know, to to define what what is partisan versus what is political and moral. Um, you know, churches can speak up on issues such as racism without fearing losing their tax, <laughs> tax uh, breaks, you know, or tax um, exemptions because, uh, you know, because this is not, this is not endorsing a single party. It, just because an entire demographic votes or most of an entire demographic votes one way doesn't mean the issue is a, not a moral issue. And, um, you know, so that's where I think, um, you know, things like the Johnson Amendment. The, yeah, there's room for discussion on how it, it benefits uh, people, but also how it, it benefits the privileged over the, un, you know, underprivileged yeah. and how we can tweak it. 
Yeah, yeah. Abraham Kendi talked about that. And uh, one of, I think it was Stan from the beginning, he talks about how this idea that pastors shouldn't talk about politics, mm. like not only just from the pulpit, but like ever. ever. Yeah. Like, don't, ever. No, don't do it even on your personal Facebook page. Right. Ever. But <laughs> yeah. that, that got started in earnest in America as abolition was rising. Um, right. That, right. That they were like, you need to shut up. Uh, don't right. talk about this. It's making me uncomfortable. Be quiet so, about your politics. So that has a racist history. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a power history at the very least. Um, Absolutely. And, 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 and that's where uh, I have, I have refused to not be vocal and I become more vocal, especially in light of all that went on with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and onward. Uh, but you know, in the past, and I, I said this right in a sermon, uh, which got some people upset with me, but I admitted that in the past I hid beyond behind my own privilege to, not, you know, I could choose not to say something and it didn't it didn't affect me, mm-hmm. and I refuse to do that anymore because uh, a Jesus wouldn't want me to do that, and I have to follow Jesus, not the government. So you know, um, mm-hmm. and and b um, I'm not comfortable with the privilege I have, knowing that other people don't have it. I mean, I'm all for the privilege I have, but why shouldn't everybody have it? And um, and and then it doesn't become a privilege; it becomes a right. You know, becomes something yeah. we all we all share together. And um, and we and my bapt our baptismal vows in the Methodist Church, and I'm sure it's similar to the Presbyterian Church. Uh, we are to to resist. Uh, evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Mm -hmm. And so if we take that seriously, we can't just sit silent. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that's, that's awesome that you're saying that because I had an, I had a revelation 10 years ago during the pandemic uh, that like, it is expressly because my life will be impacted in almost no real way by the outcome of this election that it is even more important that I use that privilege of having no skin in the game, yeah. right? Because of how I look and my education, nothing's going to change for me on the others on November 4th, nothing, Correct. but it's going to change for a lot of people that I love. And that's what matters. That's where my voice needs to be directed. I don't, it's not going to change my life, right? It didn't change my life in 2016. No, my life has gotten better in almost every way since then and that in itself is proof positive of the privilege that we have yeah and so yeah. saying well i'm not going to vote for this candidate because he doesn't fit my intellectual ideals is is gross yeah because you're only considering the impact on your life and as white men that impact is negligible at best right yeah. almost everything right and and uh you you're right to even say white men because um when we look at uh uh women who white women and whether they're educated or not by and large uh supported Donald Trump in 2016 now polls you can't go on everything with polls but mm-hmm. but if you look at the polls right now he's down big time with women why mm-hmm because of the way he acts and behaves that just women can't relate with or accept or, or nor do the, do most of them want to support. So I think it's because they work with guys like that and they can't stand them. Absolutely. Yeah, it, they, exactly. they, they are underprivileged and they get stuck with, with privileged folks who can use their privilege and power over them. So, so who wants, who wants to vote that into office, you know, you know, so um, uh, it's, you know, I mean, that's, 
that's a reality as a white man. You're right. Like there's little aside from my eyes bulging out of my head. Every time I hear the man speak, there's little to nothing that's going to affect my life um, in any real serious way. Uh, unlike some of my friends, many of my friends who, who don't share the same privileges I have and should. Um, so I, yeah. So shit, how, that, that this whole discussion is around again uh, civic religion and church and how privilege and by the way churches are the most uh, the, the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning in church mm-hmm. um, and so this church here in Las Vegas is a prime example of that there may have been some black people in the crowd but it was predominantly a white church unmasked predominantly white um, and this is this is them all sharing you know, this all them living in their privilege, you know, not not seeing how other people are suffering around them, especially in a city like Las Vegas, which is which is privilege versus the underprivileged, That's right. like front and center. Yeah. So the, the, the irony is that they call themselves the international church while it's mostly white. White people yeah. flying the flag yeah. of one nation. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is. Well, that anybody is, is welcome if they would just show up, though. Well, yeah, <laughs> course, I, okay, I know. <laughs> the question is, if um, they brought in a Honduras flag, would they be welcome? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, a German flag. <laughs> one interesting point I just want to add before we wrap this up is uh, one of the trainings that I've been in this week, um, this woman was talking about how this church that she's serving as an interim was they had this like consultant come in to talk about their diversity and equity and inclusion. And um so they ran through this like inventory and stuff like that and they at the end of all of this the the presenter the 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 person who was kind of moderating this this thing said you are far and away the most progressive church we have ever encountered wow and the cheers went up right everybody's super proud of this fact and then she waited till it died down waited for the applause to stop and said which means you are in no way diverse mm, that's true right yeah um, that it was an it, echo chamber just as much as the one that we're talking about that's full-on trump right this was an echo chamber in the other direction sal and i talk about this all the time about how we you know whether you're ultra conservative or you're ultra progressive both of those are the same thing on opposite sides of the coin they're they're echo right. chambers they're not representative and the, the as much as the evangelicals would tell you that that Christianity is about voting for you know re, Republican presidents because they represent Jesus because Jesus wants them there, um, the progressives would tell you that um, that uh, voting you know you know believing in Jesus and being Christian is all about social activism mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yelling and screaming at people <laughs> who who uh, are racist and uh, you know bigots right. and and that. Neither one of those positions is what Jesus stood for. You know, neither neither one of them. Um, yes, Jesus did. Uh, yes, there is a, in the Bible a call to respect authority uh, when that authority is not calling you to go against God. And yes, there is another uh, side of it where Jesus does call us to be witnessing in the community the love of God and the kingdom of God. Um, but you can't just separate Jesus into those two camps i mean jesus was a lot larger than than that as as is uh uh, obvious to any of us i'll just say this thing we can wrap up you can see it in denominations i mean 
like our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, is a very socially progressive and activist denomination, uh, very much on the front lines of racial issues, the Black Lives Movement. And we are a majority 95% white church. Mm -hmm. um, well, when you look at, on the flip side, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, again, a majority white denomination formed out of the fight over slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the flip side where they, they, I see them on online yelling that, you know, we're just woke, uh, critical race theory pr promoters and communists and it, you know, it plays out in our denominations as well as a it, it does. And when you look at like the AME church or, you know, like historically black churches, uh, they don't fall 100 percent in the Republican conservative white camp and they don't fall 100 percent in the progressive camp, especially when it comes to social issues like homosexuality or, um, you know, you name it. Um, and and you'll often see both sides, progressives and conservatives, uh, you know, talking down their positions because you know almost as if like we know better than you down the nose you know like and it's like it's like it's racism you know in a lot of ways it, you know they don't they don't see it that way but you know because they're the super smart educated or they're the super you know fundamentalist held to conservative values uh they talk down the nose to everybody else and uh uh with that before we leave this segment because we we really should um the other quick one we don't need to discuss much. Uh, Pat Robertson evidently uh, believes that God told him uh, that Donald Trump will win the presidency and that will usher in the end times. We can agree that if he wins the presidency, he might usher in the end times. <laughs> so, at least for America. <laughs> oh, so that that just that just gets a flush. We don't even need to discuss that. Um, so the real question before us, though, is in all these political discussions, who is who is uh, Miyagi Do, and who is Cobra Kai? Ah, uh, there, therein lies the question. Yes, and yes. that is a that is a complex question, isn't it? Sure is. Uh, that's so a great that, segue. That's a great segue right I'm into... professional communicator, Sal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that leads us right into our Cobra Kai segment, which is what we're going to call this ep episode, Cobra Kai. So um, why get fancy, right? So, yeah. so yeah, let's let's jump into that. So Miyagi Do. Now, I'll just I'll just start off by saying uh, to begin the answer of this question because I think that is going to be the discussion today as a whole. Um, Miyagi Do starts off in what way? It starts off uh, with a, a simple, uh, or appears simple anyway. Um, maintenance man at an apartment complex or hotel or whatever he's they were living at at that place um, and he happens to notice this kid getting kind of roughed up by these these folks 
And at first he, he, uh, he doesn't really address it like, um, directly, but like just talks to the kid, Oh, what happened to your face or, Oh, you know, but then he sees these kids beating him up. And so Miyagi do really comes into, into, uh, reality as a way of protecting the weak, as a way of, uh, defending the indefense, the, the indefense, uh, the, the yeah, whatever. Thank, the, thank you. The defenseless. I almost said the indefensible and that's not the case. That's Cobra Kai. Um, that's Cobra Kai, right? That's that's the initial Cobra Kai. So that is that's the root start of Miyagi Do. Of course, you could say Miyagi Do started with uh, Mr. Miyagi learning from whoever back in Okinawa, you know. Like, um, but the the name Miyagi Do comes from him having to come up with a school name for for uh, for this tournament. But that's really where it starts is him just trying to protect this this defenseless kid and also build up confidence and 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 make him feel included here's a kid whose father died the, he got uprooted from newark new jersey baby uncle lives in persephone and uh yep and then and uncle then louis. Uh, <laughs> uncle louis right which we can talk about a little bit but um and then and then he he gets moved all the way across the country to this this place he doesn't want to be he doesn't know anybody and then he runs you know he finds a girl he likes and that causes all sorts of trouble with these bullies so um so yeah, I mean, like like Mr. Miyagi saw that that here's a kid that was out of place, who was alone, who was not fitting in, and uh, he he had compassion on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next, <laughs> yeah, it's good. We did it. Well, and right. what I was thinking as you were saying that is, you know, obviously, I mean, that's the way back machine into the movies. Right? That's the way back then, machine. That's the start. Yep. You know, that's the start. Start, and then you have this, you know, Crease, who's this you know, war fighter, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, we don't really know, like, that's one of the interesting, like, sublines of, of Cobra Kai, that's like, is this guy uh, a stolen valor hero, like, or yeah, know, what's yeah. going on, but, yeah. but regardless, like, the, the, um, the pursuit for Miyagi was what you were saying, is this, this protection, right, this, you know, it is meant for protection and for personal flourishing and for balance and for all of these things right one thing that i thought was fascinating coming back into the present machine right yeah. over these two seasons of this show and when does number three drop when is it coming i think this coming year right 2021 yes i'm, I'm eager for it but to see the way in which it's either 2021 or 2022 depending on if they when they yeah, film yeah right but I just saw in the way that especially Daniel and the new Miyagi-Do became dogmatic and so focused on what was. Yes. He became the very same thing that he couldn't stand in Cobra Kai. Right, right. I mean, not it wasn't about this is this great thing I want to share with you. It is, this is the only thing that exists. All other is trash. Right, right. And it came out of a prejudgment of of Johnny, right? Like, like this is who Johnny was. Johnny will never change. He's opening up Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai can never be good. Um, this idea that, like, what was in the past will be and will always be forevermore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it comes out of, and this is a flaw in the movies. Uh, it, you particularly see this flaw in in uh, in the third film, but it, it 
it's there in the second and the first as well. Dan Daniel's kind of a hothead and he is um, he's got an ego, you know, and like part of what gets him in trouble with Johnny to begin with. And this is what I love about Cobra Kai, because it flips the tables. You start to hear things from Johnny's side and you think, oh, yeah, that's kind of true. Actually, that did happen. Maybe Johnny was the mullet. Right, right. So so Daniel had kind of an ego and he wanted to impress the girl. And and one of the ways you impress a girl is by showing how tough you are. And it got him beat up by these kids who happened to be tougher than him. And he kept egging that on. And so so here we have now Johnny fast forward to the present. He's a big time auto salesperson, rich and fancy, everything that Johnny never had in his life. And um, where he had the perceptions of it because he was a rich kid with all of this. Right, right. He he looked like he was rich because he was adopted by somebody, you know, not adopted. His mom remarried somebody who had money, but he didn't. He he was really not. He really didn't live a rich lifestyle spiritually or emotionally because of uh, the abuse he he suffered basically and the neglect he suffered on both ends. Uh, so, so, so you have this crossing of perceptions and you have this ego driven Daniel who, who the second he sees that Johnny's starting up Cobra Kai, all of a sudden has to compete, has to, has to show him, show him that, the, you know, there's a better way to do this without even really investigating why Johnny was doing what he was doing, which we can now talk about. <laughs> this is great yeah. stuff. <laughs> I mean, if he, and I love that the, uh, the show kind of shows that both Johnny and Daniel come from pretty bad father situations. Um, Daniel lost his father, really had no no father figure. Um, Johnny's father figure was abusive emotionally, not present. Um, it just happened that Daniel found Miyagi, the way of compassion, and Johnny found I mean, what's the what's the what's the phrase from Cobra Kai? Strike hard, strike first. No mercy. Right. He right. he found the you know be a man, the toxic masculinity father figure. And and um, I want I want to just interject here because let's look at Crease and Johnny, who Crease took under his wing. Uh, Crease, we can talk about in more depth at a different point if we get to it, but. But Kreese, uh was the father figure Johnny longed to have. Somebody who took him in, didn't judge him, toughened him up, and taught him what he thought was a way that was going to get him through life on his own because he had nobody else. And and so in, in some ways, while Kreese is flawed, Kreese... Kreese did what Miyagi did in some ways. He took this kid in and and did what he thought. Now, there may have been ulterior motives. We don't really know. That that gets murky, as as Blake said. But but he took this kid in and did what he thought would give this kid a place in the world and uh, then built a school around it. And um, and so that, you know, that is is something that can't can't be ignored that 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 Johnny finds a father figure and somebody who in some ways led him in a good direction but in other ways led him in a very bad direction and um and then there's uh Blake you just shared something um uh about how there's more you know when Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit um or blessed are the poor period there's more ways than one to be poor 
you know, like Johnny may have had all the resources in the world because of his mom's marrying somebody with money. Uh, he was poor in just about every other way. Um, and not only not only that, but then he got in with Crease, who may have been a blessing to him in one some ways, but further impoverished his soul because of what he was teaching him. Yep. Yeah, I, I've been thinking as I was watching this, um, especially as these two seasons in particular developed, and the the toxicity between the two groups, and how like there's this no. You can't be one of those. You can't be seen with one of those. Um, and the ways in which they are both doing the same thing mm -hmm. um, is the the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Yes. Because that parable is meant to catch us in our own self-righteousness, right? Mm -hmm. You hear this Pharisee, it's painted as this awful picture of this self-righteous person. And then you have the tax collector who's, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And we are invited by Jesus to tell on ourselves by saying, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee over there. <laughs> yeah, when that right? was the very prayer of the Pharisee toward him. <laughs> it, was, it was that exact thing. And we get lulled into this sense that it's okay to pray it as long as we're pointing out with the Pharisee instead of the tax collector. That's right. And right. that is, I think, is one of the huge undertones of this entire show is the ways in which just because Johnny's Cobra Kai Daniel can never really let himself be friends with this guy who he very clearly has so much more in common with. Yeah. Than, than different. The only difference is the logo on the back of their gi, for goodness sake. Yeah, basically. And I mean, some of Johnny's methods were initially modeled off of Crease, but as he goes along, he grows and learns and realizes, I don't want to be that guy who beat me up out in the parking lot and nearly killed me. I want to be something like Miyagi. He wants to be more like Miyagi. I mean, his approach is a little different because Miyagi didn't teach him. But but he's ultimately taking these kids who are being bullied and rejected and giving them family, giving them something to be. Yeah, I mean, like, it, um, and, and then the redemption that comes in with his own son and, and all of that. I mean, like, yeah. it's just, I mean, one of the things that I really pulled from the series, really appreciated from the series, without it mentioning religion at all, um, is the spiritual and theological undertones that it was clearly intentional of displaying i mean like like the people who wrote this understood what they were writing and why they were writing it and it comes becomes so clear and evident throughout the whole show yeah right. and uh and i love the little glimpses of you, you you think they have enough in common you see those little glimpses of them almost becoming friends yeah but yeah. like blake said just because of the, the logo on their gi they can't because um, but yeah there's yeah because so, of danny's ego you know, ego and you know and, and johnny's trauma and johnny's ego and yep. the things that yep. they were taught and yep. you know you think about you know why what was what was johnny's dojo always going to look like there's no way it would have been anything other right like i think about you know i've thought about how someday i'd like to open a crossfit gym mm -hmm. it's going to look like the gyms i've been a part of right that's all you know because <laughs> it's what i know and and the the beautiful thing with johnny is he is in a place where he's able to say, like, actually, this didn't work. Mm -hmm. he's, in a, he's, he's in an emotional space where he can say, this did not work. Yeah. I, I, I do not have the life that I thought I was going to have because of this stuff. So changes need to be made, right? And he's able to be self-aware enough, which is crazy. When, you know, again, you know, Daniel, 
because of his success. He's blinded to that. Daniel's in a place where his, his dojo is modeled on inner peace and this sort of chi kind of um, tranquility, and yet he's not uh, the opposite of Johnny. He's not self-aware enough to know that because of his ego and success that that's not what he's teaching. Correct. I, I had forgotten that he tried to go to Cobra Kai. Yeah. I totally yeah. forgot about that. But that maybe, movie. you know, I think about maybe deep down that's the that's the dojo Daniel always wished that he had. It is because and and they kind of allude to that. They don't say it directly, but they he tells one of the kids, oh, I know that, that Cobra Kai is not good for you because I am Cobra Kai. I was Cobra Kai. Yeah, was and Cobra if you Kai. think about it, he tried to go to Cobra Kai in the first movie. And in the third movie, he does go to Cobra Kai. He leaves Miyagi because he thinks Miyagi is just, you know, wasting his time and he wants to fight this tournament and this guy's going to make him tough. So here you have somebody who, who actually has had feet in both, both dojos. And I think that experience of, of, I think his guilt of leaving Miyagi uh, actually drives him in being even more judgmental toward Cobra Kai than maybe is warranted because because he he is so guilty that he was a hothead and left Miyagi and then had this terrible traumatic experience over at uh, Cobra Kai and uh, blames himself for that and doesn't want to see the kids go through that even though Johnny is not necessarily leading the same Cobra Kai. You know, like you can't put your foot in the same river twice. Um and I, the other thing that I really love is when, when that scene when Johnny is standing before the whole class are lined up uh, and he has uh, behind him the logo of Cobra Kai with strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And he says, you know, I've told you the third rule is no mercy, but I realize that that it comes from a black and white world and we live in a world with gray. And so it's not so easy to say no mercy. Sometimes you do need to show it, you know? And I was like, Oh my God, like the, 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 the growth in this, this character arc is yeah. just like unbelievable. Yeah. Cause he, I mean, he saw how vicious his kids were in that tournament. Yeah. Um, yeah. What it had created in them. And it disgusted uh, him. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I've been thinking about with it is the shift in perceptions now about um, the church versus the secular world. Mm -hmm. The church used to be seen as the place where, you know, there was kindness and there was grace and there was mercy and, and humility. And there's become a, a shift in the greater cultural discussion that that's not where you're going to find it because we've got churches that are hosting Trump rallies um, yeah. and, and this unending support for this man that really does not behave in any way, shape, or form, regardless of what you think of his political policy, but his behavior as a person has no resonance with the, the kingdom of God, the, the, the teachings of Jesus. Not at all. Yeah. And, and so often I see those levels of kindness, those levels of grace and mercy outside of the church instead of inside of it. Truth. And uh, another thing uh, right along those lines um Anytime now that I turn on uh, the television and I see a an ad for churches or, or an ad for religion in general, it is nine times out of ten 
uh, from a lawyer's office saying, if you've been abused by clergy, (laughs) which I cringe every time I see it, because it's like the majority of clergy are not doing this. But yet, like, there's even for me, I've never sexually molested anybody or harassed anybody. But I, I, every time I see it, like there's this like shame, you know, like, like, oh, that's my position, you know, and, um, and, you know, this is the message that the world is getting about the church and we've done it to ourselves. I mean, this is not, yeah. this is, that's this a, is a self-inflicted wound, you know, on all ends. Wound on our part. Yep. Um, I, I preached uh, a sermon sometime, uh, but about how, there were these studies that were done. Barna does all this research. And one of the things that they were doing is like this post-Christian, right? So um, my community, the Quad Cities, is the 15th most post-Christian metro area in the country. Mm. Um, the only Midwestern community that is higher on the list than us mm. is Madison, Wisconsin, which makes a ton of sense. Oh, yeah. um, right? They call it the Berkeley of the Midwest for a reason. So fine. But... In that, they also were asking people, what do you think about, you know, what are the words that come to mind when you think of Christian? Mm. Homophobic. Yep. yep. Uh, hypocritical, one of them. And there was one other one that was just vicious, but there was no refuting any of them. There's no way for us to say, no, that's not us, because it, it's so clearly on brand. Yeah. especially the American church had become, um, you know, the, that's, we have, be, you know, it's that swap. It's, we have become that which we said we were against. And that's the arc of Daniel um, in, in, at this point. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. He and, and many of his students have become that which they thought they abhorred. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. And, um, uh, it's to me, to me, like, uh, that's what I really kind of, actually, that's what I really appreciated about, um, this particular show is the parallels between the church and, and us. Um, so, so we like, you know, just like, just like we we were just discussing about the self-inflicted wounds of the, the church, um, you know, we see those self-inflicted wounds, both, both on Johnny's end, you know, with his relationship with his son, with, uh, the way he's handling his kids at the, at the dojo, the way he, uh, allows crease back into his life when he probably shouldn't, though that was a great display of grace and forgiveness on his part. So there is some holiness yeah. there as well. Um, mm-hmm. and actually, I, I, I actually think he did do the right thing initially. And in the end he did do the right thing again, but but you see that self-inflicted w- wounding going on on his end, but you also see it going on on Dan- Danny's end, uh, mm-hmm. where, where uh, the, where you know he his own ego and his own unwillingness to see beyond what he was taught to the greater picture, uh, which which Miyagi would have pointed him to had he been alive, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is is really a self-inflicted wound, and it, it's not just one that affects him in in terms of the kids he's teaching. It affects him in his marriage. It affects him in his mm-hmm. relationship with his kids. It affects him in his business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, it affects him across the board. Um, which these things do, right? You know, um, I I also appreciate that the initial the initial Karate Kid was kind of a way for, um, 
you know, there's a lot of stigma to the martial arts. And so you get this idea that martial arts is all about beating people up. And I think uh, Karate Kid took that 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 notion, that false notion that karate, that karate is about beating people up. And they countered it with Mr. Miyagi, you know, Miyagi-Do, mm-hmm. and saying, no, this is what martial arts is actually about. Um, and used the story as an allegory for uh, what is and what is not true martial arts. Um, but I love how the show then says, okay, but is it so black and white? Right. Well, you see that, you see that in, for Johnny, you see, and part of Johnny's self-realization of self-wounding is he sees in the Hawk character and the Miguel character, two young boys who he becomes that father figure to and gives them that sense of empowerment, especially Hawk, that in, that sense of empowerment over being bullied. Yeah. And yet they be, they become the bullies of Cobra Kai. Hawk especially, yeah. He Hawk really, especially. Yeah. Uh, and then, <clears throat> but then you see with Daniel, you see him with uh, Johnny's son, helping Johnny's son heal from the not having his father involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the season two finale was kind of ironic in the, you know, Cobra Kai is the no mercy school. And yet, ultimately Miyagi-Do is the one spoiler alert hopefully everyone's watched um when Johnny's son you know hits Miguel and sends him over the railing yeah when it was ended it was it seems like it, it was, was over. over yeah it was done like and he <clears> throat> went throat> no, no Cobra yeah. Kai actually showed mercy and stopped and Miyagi-Do <laughs> Had no mercy. I mean, Had no mercy. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the tables are flipped. That's why I'm so excited to see what they do with season three because. Um, yeah. But so, yeah. I mean, that, 100% going to come back and save Miguel. I, mean, I, feel, I, I think we can, I, we can write that one down. I think so. I agree. Uh, because me, me, I mean, the character that Miguel showed in that moment where I think he was always somewhat, I think Miguel was always somewhat at odds with some of what Johnny was teaching him just because of who he was taught to be as a, as a person. Um, and you see him push back time and time again on some of these things that he's being taught. And Johnny, Johnny has a relationship with Miguel where, you know, the pushback is give and take. Uh, but when it came to Crease, you know, Crease would not tolerate being pushed back on. I mean, he's right in his, you know. And so so that's when I think you really start to see Miguel question whether this is good or or not good. And to see him listen, to see Johnny sit down with him side by side and give him this advice about, you know, sometimes we need to show mercy. Sometimes we need to 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 be the better person and him take it like 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 from from a father figure you know like like to him take that advice and then apply it at the end of season two the way he did was just like i mean my hair is standing on end right now talking about it it's uh and and that's so to get back to your point todd about martial arts and the misconceptions of martial arts yeah you know yes it does it it provides that discipline and that self-empowerment to take weak timid kids who are bullied and empower them to stand up for themselves um but there's also the lessons of mercy and um you know kind of that flow the yin and yang of you know life is not black or white there's a lot of gray and it helps you navigate that 
Yeah, and, um, Mi- Mi- and ironically, Miyagi Do was about stopping the abuse, not fighting people, but but about like if someone fights you, if someone's trying to hurt you, stop them, you know, disarm right. them. Uh, right. And ironically, at the end of season two, who's the one doing the disarming? Who's the one stopping the hurt and the injury? Uh, Cobra Kai. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, just it's just oh, so brilliant. It is, yeah. Um. I've been thinking too um, about uh, it. Just popped in my mind now that you know obligatory Lord of the Rings reference. Um, but we are seeing the the capacity of both the light and the dark to twist something that is in and of itself a good thing. Martial arts in and of itself is a good thing. Correct. When harnessed well, right, in Lord of the Rings, we see the power harnessed well in the elves and Aragorn and all of these the good characters, right? But, like, the, you know, the one of the things that always stuck out to me is that, like, trolls and ants are basically the same thing. They are. One is just twisted for evil, right? Yep. Same thing with orcs and elves, twisted. And that what we see with, with Cobra Kai is twisting back towards the light side of martial arts to do the right thing. And, and Miyagi-Do is twisting away towards becoming, again, you know, this thing that they said that they were against, they're twisting into it because it's being used for the wrong reason. Right, right. Um, um, the presence of of good and evil within us all and which one, which one we which one we lean toward is which way we get twisted, <laughs> you know? Um, There's nothing yeah. bad about martial arts unless you use it for bad things. Correct. Think it's uh, it's like that. Oh, it's on Facebook. So I don't know if it's really is a native American proverb or not, but the story of, <laughs> you know, the young, young person asked, you know, there's two wolves and mm-hmm. uh, good and evil or love and hate. And the, kid asks well which one wins and the elder says whichever one you feed mm. that's and that's that's martial arts is yeah yeah and you like anything it can be twisted that's life yeah, yeah. i i even think of the 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 verse the um passage in the bible um i forget i think it's first peter or james it's one of them uh where you know the devil the devil knows scripture and and uses it. I mean, like you know, like you know, like this idea that even even the Bible, even Scripture, uh, in and of itself is is in and of itself it's a good thing, but it depends on how it's being used, right? Like it depends on how it's being twisted. So this idea that evil can just come in and just twist yeah. something and that's, pervert it to make it what it's not. That's a whole other podcast right there. The ways in which it's been twisted. Oh, um, so yeah. so, yeah. so much so that that may be a series of podcasts. <laughs> but but uh, I think this brings. A, oh, go ahead, Sal. I was just gonna say, there's that I posted on Facebook a while ago about there's a line of there's a line of Satan talking to Jesus from the the top of the temple, mm-hmm. and taken out of context, it sounds like oh that's empowering, and it was actually on a you know, scripture of the day type calendar. And it, but when you actually look and see what the, what it is, it's actually the devil. Yeah, yeah. If you just bow to me, I will give you all of these things. Yeah. yeah exactly. marks, Satan. Well, I love when people say like, you know, like, uh, yeah, I love when people cherry pick uh, and try to say, well, the Bible says, and I'm like, yeah, well, the Bible also says there is no God. 
Of course, there's another end to that. You know, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. But, you know, if we're going to cherry pick, we can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. <laughs> so, um, this is a good place for us to leave our uh, our episode. Uh, we are going to have a bonus episode. So for those of you who feel like just giving up one coffee a month or I don't know, maybe a Frappuccino a month, uh, you could, uh, you know, have a patreon account and then get to see the bonus episodes which are really awesome um and uh and so we will be talking about how this year has been for us uh in our our uh extra episode so what do you think Stel? sounds good and uh stick around because um a lot of what we talked about today todd and i and blake uh will come up again we uh we may in either next month or very soon have uh the the owner of my dojo on mm. the podcast so we'll be talking about you know more in depth of what you know what martial arts is and means and can do for people and uh it'll be more of a you know less of a Christ, christian centric conversation more of a spirituality based but um yeah. stay tuned join us that'd be awesome so with that i say check out our episode notes uh definitely subscribe to our patreon account uh and uh as always be excellent to each other and don't be a jerk rock on, rock on.